Thanks, Jamal. That was, uh, that was fantastic, man. So thank you very much. And feel free to applaud on that. That was really good stuff. So thanks, buddy. I always hesitate coming up uh, during, while Jamal's playing or when Heidi's playing, I, I feel rude uh, coming up and interrupting them. And, and both of them said, you just need to get up here, okay? So, uh, so there you have it. Um, hey, a couple things to clarify real quickly as we start this series. And, and a few people were asking me, uh, when you look at the cover of the bulletin, many people said, I thought this series was going to be about heaven. You know, that's what it looks like. But uh, as you look at the cover of the bulletin, you'll see this city and, and what it, the way I interpreted it, the way Adam Porter and I interpreted it was God's desire is to reign over cities. His desire is to reign in our hearts and our minds and our, and our souls, our lives completely. And so, so that's what we saw there. And so we're, we'll, we may talk about heaven in a few weeks as we talk about the kingdom of God because that's where it'll be fully realized. But, but until we get there, just know that we're talking about about God's reign in our lives, all right? So, and this morning we take a look at this passage in Luke chapter 9, and we'll get there in just a few moments, but, but we're constantly looking at our lives in, in a way that, that at times makes sense, and at other times it doesn't make sense. And when we talk about following God, many people sit there and say, hey, I'll follow, I'll follow, I'll follow, but you'll notice I will follow, I think. Because there always seems to be some type of an excuse that we can drum up along the way. And there are many excuses for a variety of things that happen in all of our lives. And for many people, they have plenty of excuses when they get caught speeding. And so I thought I'd give you just a few of those excuses that state troopers or sheriff's people or police officers, whoever, have heard in their time. And, if you, and, and uh, I'm sure, Daryl, you've heard a few of these when you've, when you've tracked some people down. Not that Daryl ever speeds. Um, but here's one. It says this, and, and we'll just start off slowly. It says this, I wasn't speeding. I just got a haircut, and it makes me look fast worked. All right. Here's another one, and this one sort of scared me. It had snowed, so, it, it, this was the, the, uh, the uh, police officer's report. It said it snowed six inches, and I radared a car driving 54 and a 30. I stopped this person, and uh, I stopped this lady, and she told me, very matter of fact, she said this, duh, I know I was going fast. I was trying to get the snow off my windshield so I could see where I'm going. That's scary. Another individual, a high school student, was driving. Uh, he, was going at a, he was driving 101 miles an hour, and uh, he was flying down the road. He was pulled over. Upon being pulled over, I walked up to him. The police officer walked up to him and said, and I said, I checked you at doing 101 miles an hour. He said, that's absolutely impossible. And they proceeded to argue. The student said I was doing 85. The police officer said you were doing 101. And then me, the curious cop, asked him why he thought he was only going 85, and his response was this. My speedometer only goes to 85, and I had my, and I had my gas pushed all the way to the floor. <laughs> the future of our country is in great trouble. This one I found very, very sort of uh, sick, I guess, in a little way. It says this. 
I stopped a guy for doing 71 and a 50. His reason was this. He wanted to get to McDonald's before the breakfast menu ended. <laughs> Another individual said this. My car has a recall on it for unexplained acceleration, and I'm on my way to get it fixed. <laughs> and then this one turned on the police officer when this happened. He pulled over a Corvette doing a 155-mile-an-hour zone late at night on the highway, and there was no traffic. I told the driver, you were flying. Unless you have a pilot's license, you are going to jail. The man proceeded to hand me his pilot license, and I had to let him go. So we have excuses. We have excuses all the time for these things. And we come to this passage in Luke chapter 9, and I invite you to look there now. And as we look at these excuses, one of the things I knew going into this was that this particular passage is going to hit pretty close to home for many of us, if not all of us. It says this, starting in verse 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for, the service, for, is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Father, we pray now as we come to this passage, a passage that has so much in it, a passage that strikes pretty close to home for, if not all of us, most of us. Because, Lord, it's our desire to follow you. And we confess that oftentimes we have plenty of excuses that prevent that from happening. And so we would ask that your Holy Spirit would work in such a way that our eyes would be open to the truth that we need to see that our ears would be open to the truth that we need to hear. Our minds would be open to the truth that we need to understand. And our hearts would be open to the truth that can transform our lives forever. So we pray, Lord, that you would be lifted up. We pray that no one would hear anything that I say, but they would only hear what it is that you want them to hear, that you need them to hear. And that you would receive all glory, Jesus. You deserve it. And we love you, and we praise you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So last week I began, uh, we, we looked at one diagram, and it's going to go up on the screen real quick, and this is just to catch you up to where we are. So, so we talked about creation, and we talked about how God's people constantly struggle with this whole idea of his kingdom, his reign in, one person, in, in a person's life. And so we're into this place now, and, and today in, included, that we call this age. And last week, when we talked, when we looked at what Jesus Christ did in his first message found in Matthew chapter 4, 
all of a sudden things happened, and, and what ends up happening is this, is that when Jesus Christ gets involved, Jesus Christ doesn't wait for this age to get fixed. He doesn't wait for this age to get cleaned up. Jesus Christ invades this time. So no matter what's going on in your life right now, whether it's great or not so great, whether you're happy with it or not pleased with it, or there are things that you're ashamed of, whatever the case may be, Jesus Christ is not afraid to get involved in, what, in your life. He desires to get involved, and, and when he gets involved, things change, things happen, and in the process of them happening, we ourselves find out this God that we're following is amazing. And so Jesus is, is walking along the road, and we, we look at verse 57 and 58, and he says this, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. We, we live in a culture that loves comfort. How do I know that? We have a company called Sleep Number. And the whole purpose of that sleep number is about comfort. And so I ask you this morning, what's your sleep number? Not asking if you have that type of a bed. What I'm asking you is, how comfortable is your life? Because that seems to be, not just seems to be, that is where Christ is talking here. This man comes up to him and says, I will go with you wherever you go. Do we understand what wherever you go means? Do we understand that wherever you go, because Jesus Christ goes everywhere. There isn't any particular place that he does not go. So when we say, I'll follow you wherever you go, do we realize that means our job? Do we realize that means our family? Do we realize that means our school? Do we realize that that means our neighborhood? We'll follow you wherever you go. And I love what Jesus does immediately. And he says this, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. This guy says, I want to follow you. And Jesus Christ immediately goes to the issue of comfort immediately goes there. He immediately goes there, and we are addicted to comfort. We are. We're addicted to comfort. Let me give you just a few examples. First off, you can shop online from the comfort of your own home. For crying out loud, you can even shop online when you're driving. Well, you shouldn't do this, but you have your smartphone, you're at a stoplight, and all of a sudden you get the urge to buy golf clubs. Why not do it while you're driving? Okay? But you can shop online. You can shop wherever. You now don't. You can, you can order food from all these different restaurants and have it delivered to you. Grubhub. What an amazing thing. It's all about comfort. I already talked about the sleep number bed. By the way, my sleep number is 65. We love comfort. We're addicted to it. As a matter of fact, as I was working on the message, I thought of this new thing. We have Alcoholics Anonymous. We have Narcotics Anonymous. We ought to have Comfort Anonymous. Hello, I'm John Bosick. I'm addicted to comfort. 
Because we are. We will stop at almost nothing to gain more comfort. Jesus Christ knows that. And in the United States, comfort is huge. It is huge. And because we're so comfortable, we end up saying, I'll follow you wherever you go, except if it's going to make me uncomfortable. I want to invite up right now uh, Adam Matthew, and as he's coming up here, and, and I'll explain why he's going to be up here. And by the way, I want you to notice this as Adam's coming up here. In verse 58, he says, Foxes have den, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place, come on up, um, has no place to, to lay his head. And I find this ironic. Insignificant animals, a fox and a bird, they have a place to lay their head. Why? Because God cares about them. Yet the most significant person to ever walk the face of this earth doesn't have a place to lay his head. Now granted, that sort of goes with the territory. He's this traveling preacher. But yet, God cares about the insignificant ones. And the most significant one doesn't even have a place to lay his head. I brought up Adam, and I'm gonna, and, and here's why. Adam is, uh, many of you know this. First off, he serves as our uh, director of student ministries. He's doing a fantastic job. If you don't think he is, talk to me, and I will tell you that he is because he is. He's doing a great job. We're grateful for this. But Adam also serves as a Marine Reserve. And, and so Adam understands being uncomfortable, but Adam also understands a, a few other things that, that I want us to, to help unpack here a little bit. So first off, how long have you been serving in the Marines? And be sure to hold that close to your, yeah. yeah you, you, uh, you know what you're doing. Serving for about five years. Okay, and right now you are a corporal, yes. but that's about to change, yes. correct? So you're about to become a major. A okay, I have no idea. Okay, so, okay, so. Okay, so, but he's about to become a sergeant to give it up. That's fantastic. So that's a really good thing. So are you nervous about becoming a sergeant? No, just more responsibility. More responsibility. Can't, more responsibility and what? Less work. <laughs> well, that's still disconcerting for me. This doesn't help. <laughs> this doesn't help very much. But, but no, I'm uh, giving you a hard time here. But... So more responsibility, more responsibility. So the reason why I'm up here, how, how important is the chain of command for a Marine? That's incredibly important. Uh, the chain of command gives guidance and uh, you know, direction towards the mission. Okay. It's kind of like a car. You know, without the chain of command, you might still know your job, but it's not going to function together. Okay. So for the chain of command as a Marine, it is essential for you to do what needs to be done. Let me ask you this question. Does a new recruit get to say what they will do? No. So you were once a new recruit. You showed up. They told you where you're going to go, what you're going to do. Am I correct on that? Yes. Okay. How did, now, what, what was that? Every second. Every second. You don't decide anything. Did that bother you? At first, yeah. 
Why did it bother you so much? Because, you know, we all want to be our own person. Um, and this was a, a thing at boot camp. Uh, but they wanted to break you down. Right. Right, right. It's no longer you, it's the team. Okay, so it's no, I want to play with what you just said. It's no longer you, it's about the team. Were there people in your recruit class, I don't know if that's the right word to use, were there people in your recruit in your recruit class that said, this is not for me. How did that go? Did you have conversations with them? What happened? Unless you wanted it, you're not going to make it. So let's, let, me, let me tie this in. So Jesus, as we're looking at this verse, Jesus offers us the opportunity to follow him. This guy says, I will follow you wherever you go. As a Marine and, as, and, and the different lessons that God has taught you as you serve in the Marines, as you followed him, how has it helped you understand that he is the one calling the shots? Right, so if the chain of command gets broken, those 40 individuals aren't, those 40 individuals aren't with us any longer. Am I correct on that? Yes. Okay. Um, but yeah, with, with, with that whole situation, you know, following orders, right. what happened, um, they ended up saving lives, and the chain of command is a very important thing, because um, they're the one passing down guidance and direction on what to do. Okay, okay, that makes perfect sense, so that, that'll work. So thank you very much. So give it up for Adam. So thanks a lot. Um, so you heard, Adam say, you heard Adam say that there isn't, there, there's, there's rhyme, there's reason to what needs to happen. And when those things are not followed, lives get endangered. And I don't know if you noticed or not, but when I said, does a new recruit get to say where they get to go and what they get to do? You saw the smile. No, they don't. No, they don't. This is a new recruit. And what the new recruit is saying, I'm going to follow you wherever you want me to go. I'm going to go wherever you go. And Jesus' response is, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man does not have a place to lay his head. Do you understand what you're asking for? Do you understand what this means? The kingdom of God, part of the reason why the kingdom of God is such a big deal and him reigning in our lives, I believe this to be true. The kingdom of God makes the comfortable uncomfortable. It takes us to places. He takes us to places. He places us in situations where we are uncomfortable. All of a sudden, we need to offer forgiveness to somebody that we really don't want to forgive. All of a sudden, we, instead of looking out only for ourselves, begin to realize we are called to care for others. The kingdom of God makes the comfortable 
uncomfortable. And he doesn't apologize about that. Jesus Christ doesn't change it up here and say, well, but for you, I'll make sure that everything's taken care of. You're going to have nothing but comfort your entire life. How has your addiction, how has my addiction to comfort prevented us from doing uncomfortable things for God and seeing his kingdom continue to move? And then he says this, verse 59, he says, He said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first, let me go and bury my father. So the kingdom of God is about making the comfortable uncomfortable, and then it also is about having us take a look at our priorities and putting our priorities in perspective. This person, Jesus calls this person and says, follow me. And this person comes up with arguably one of the best reasons to say, listen, I'm in, but I need to go do this first. This is a, an, one of the most honorable acts a child could make in Jesus' day was to properly bury their mom or their dad. That's what happens here. Let me first go and bury my father. Wow! We all care about family. We all want what's best for our family. Don and I yesterday were talking about going back to Kansas to see her mom, to see my parents. They're not getting any younger, and we, we need to go see them because we care about them. Family matters. Family is important. And burying your father, burying your mother, back in Jesus' day, it, it was near the top of priorities. And listen to Jesus' response. Jesus said to them, let the dead bury their dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Let me say that again. Let the dead bury their own dead. Did Jesus Christ really just say that? He calls this guy to follow him. And this guy says, I, I will, but I need to go and bury my father. We read these words, and, and I don't, at first glance, I'm, I, I read them and I say, that is tough. But this is where culture comes into play. And this is a culture alert. Back in Jesus' day, there was a burial. Your, your father or mother died or somebody in your family died. You, you, you uh, wrapped them up and, and you put them into the tomb. So that was the first burial. And then after a year or so goes by, you then go back, you open the tomb, and you pull out, because the body is decomposed. It's just a pile of bones. You grab those bones out of that tomb and you put them into what is called an ossuary, or a better word to use would be a bone box. And the bone box was below the tomb. Now, here's why this is so important. We're talking about people who were incredibly poor. They didn't have a whole lot of money to buy grave plots or whatever you want to call it. So they had to make this economical. For I know, I know that sounds a little crass, 
but they didn't they couldn't afford buying all these different tombs and so a person dies in their family they have them give them a proper burial then a year later they come in they pull out those bones and they bury those bones in the family's bone box Jesus Christ is addressing that second burial because notice what he says here he says let the dead bury their own dead if the guy's father was still alive or whatever, he would say, or, or if it was the first one, he would just say, listen, okay, go ahead, but he's addressing this second burial. There's some leeway on when you can do this particular second burial. So what Jesus Christ is getting at, and notice what he says, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not about dead. The kingdom of God is about life. You go and you proclaim this kingdom. You go and proclaim my reign in all people's lives. That's what he's driving at here. He's saying, listen, you can go do the second burial, but that's, you're dealing with dead stuff. I am about live stuff. I'm about helping people realize what's going on. You see, the kingdom of God is always about life. So often we think that there's not much to life or there's not much that we can offer people. Look around. The unfortunate reality is this, is that there are people walking around us all the time who are simply existing. They're not living. They have no joy. They have no peace. They have no, they have no strength. They're beat up. They're discouraged. They're frustrated. We have the opportunity as Christ followers to say, I can tell you something about Jesus Christ, the one who conquered death. Jesus Christ invites every single one of us to follow him. But so often our priorities get askewed and we think they're really important. And Jesus is saying, there is nothing more important than proclaiming my truth. Proclaiming my life. Proclaiming my forgiveness. And then another person comes up to him and says, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. I want to say bye to my folks. I came to know Jesus Christ and trust in Jesus Christ as a sophomore in high school. I did pretty well in school. My parents were all excited because they knew that I would get some type of academic scholarship to go to, to some school wherever I wanted, I guess. They were thrilled. My dad said, you're going to do a great job. You're going to have a, a wonderful job. You're going to make, and, and frankly, you're going to make a lot of money. Junior year of high school, I uh, had an opportunity. My youth pastor invited me to, uh, to share a, a message at, at a nursing home, and I did it. And on that drive home, and I think I've shared this story with many of you before, on the drive home, I very, it was a distinct call was placed on my life as I was driving home, and that call was, John, I want you to be a pastor. A couple weeks passed after this particular drive home, and at the dinner table, I told my folks, 
I believe I'm going to, I believe God has called me to be a pastor. My dad's initial response was this. Are you kidding me? Do you realize what that means? Hello. (laughs) Apparently, yeah, exactly. Answer the question. Time's up. But my dad said, John, you have so much that you can do. Do you realize that you're walking away from a job that will take care of you financially for the rest of your life? Do you realize what you're walking away from by not pursuing this track that your mom and I have you on? And I said, yeah. He said, all right. I'm not real thrilled with it, but I'll support you. My parents had what they thought was the best thing for me in mind. But in reality, it was good what they wanted to do, what they wanted me to do in my life. But good is never best. It never is. Good is never best. And I'm happy to report that my dad and I, a a year ago, and and it's been happening for the last number of years as our relationship has gotten better, my dad came up to me last year and and, uh, he was asking about what was going on here in Salinas and I told him what it was like being pastor of this wonderful church and my dad looked at me and he said, John, I am so proud of you. I'm proud of you. I don't live my life for my dad's approval or whatever, but, but that impacted me. Because God wants what's best for us. He wants what's best for us. He doesn't want what's good for us. He wants what's best for us. And this person in verse 61 says, I will follow you, Lord, but. I will follow you, Lord, but. The word but always takes precedent over what was said before it. All of us have been in these conversations. I apologize to you, but this is why I did it. When you use the word but after I'm sorry, let me be very frank with you. You're not sorry. And trust me, I've learned the hard way. Don, I'm sorry I did this, but it didn't work. I will follow you, God, but I need to go do this. I will follow you, God, but this person is really annoying. I will follow you, God, but I need to get a good grade on this, and I didn't properly study. You see where I'm going with this? I will follow you, but the kingdom of God is always about the best, not the good enough. 
The kingdom of God is about God's reign working in our lives no matter what. And notice what he says here. I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Let me look back. And notice what Jesus says. No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. No one who looks back. I will follow you, Lord, but my past is pretty ugly. My past is pretty messed up. I want to do something now. Gilbert, I didn't ask you, but I'm going to ask you now. Can you come up here for just a moment? Okay. This is Gilbert, a great guy. There's no, no getting around it. Um, nice guy. Um, he and I have, uh, it, it, it's just a joy. I, I love having you. You have no idea what I'm about to do, do you? No, I don't. Okay, here we go. Good. So that's good. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to have you hold this. Just stand out here so people can see. Okay. So, so what ends up happening is that we have our past right? I call this a lesson from Colgate. This is our life. Notice I have a plate. Heidi's very concerned yeah, right now. You see her face, right? She's freaking out, yeah, isn't she? I saw it. What, you saw it? I mean, it's, it's good. Yeah. You're not freaking out, though. Are we're good? You, we're good? Yeah, okay, good. Okay, so here's the deal. So this is Colgate. Okay, it smells good, doesn't it? Excellent. You're not going to trust me? You're afraid I'm going to smash in your face, aren't you? <laughs> aren't you? Just be honest. You're afraid I'm going to smash in your face. Now, this is what I want you to do. I want you to put what I just put on the plate, I want you to put that back in the tube for me. Oh, wow. It's going to be impossible. You're not even going to try. No, it's not going to be. Okay, it's not going to work. Okay, so thank you very much. That's, I, that's a, you did exactly what I needed you to do. Now. Here we go. He gets applause just for handing me back a plate with toothpaste? Holy moly. Here's the point. Did you hear what he just said? It's impossible to put it back in the tube. My question to you is this. This happened. It's in the past. Why is it that we work so hard to put it back in the tube when it can't happen? Jesus Christ says, and these are his words, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back. Folks, in my years of ministry, here's something that I've noticed. And not just in my own life, but in many of our lives. Our past for some strange reason, we forget that it's been forgiven. That it's been taken care of. God, I want to follow you, but my past is really ugly. I want to follow you, but I did this, I did that, I did this, I did that. And God is saying, stop looking back. The kingdom of God is always about looking forward. Folks, the toothpaste is out of the tube. You can't put it back in. 
So instead of spending so much effort trying to put stuff back in the tube, why don't we extend that effort, expend that effort, that energy on moving forward, accepting the fact that we're forgiven? We're forgiven. We don't have to look back any longer. For some of you in this room, it's today is the day that you stop trying to put the toothpaste back in the tube and you accept the fact that you're forgiven. You accept the fact that God wants what's best for you. You accept the fact that his kingdom is about moving forward. So we have three different instances Three different conversations, three different discussions that are going on here. One deals with comfort. One deals with priorities. One deals with what is good over best or what is best needing to be over good. And you see all these different interactions. And I want you to take a, quicker, take a closer look at the passage. Notice, not a single person is mentioned by name. Why is that important? It's important because God's kingdom is for everybody. It's for everybody to participate in. And here's the other thing that you'll notice. Not a single conclusion can be reached about what these people did in response to what Jesus Christ said to them. Not a single one. We don't know what happened to the person who wanted to go back and say bye to their parents. We don't know about the person who who wanted to bury their dad. We don't know about the person, how they responded when they found out that the Son of Man doesn't have a place to land. We have no idea. It's sort of like pick your own adventure time. But all these are excuses. We have the excuses. We can come up with them all the time. Every single one of us has an excuse, and we need someone. We need someone desperately and Jesus Christ Jesus Christ is that someone I invite you if you have your Bible open look back at verse 51 and we'll begin wrapping up as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. Jesus Christ knew what lay ahead for him. We need someone who's not going to make an excuse. Because all of us make excuses. We have excuses for as long as long can be. And Jesus Christ had every possible excuse available. But look at verse 51. It says this, As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. In the Greek, what it's talking about there is Jesus Christ set his face as flint. Jerusalem and there was no stopping him Jesus Christ was going to get to Jerusalem why because that's where he needed to go why did he need to go to Jerusalem because that's where his death was going to happen 
He resolutely set his face as flint is a better way to say it. And so you read this and you're thinking, well, this is going to be great. It's going to be a wonderful thing. And in Luke's gospel, we have what is called this travel narrative from here all the way through chapter 19, where Jesus Christ, every single time a city is mentioned, it's closer, it's closer, it's closer to Jerusalem. And Jesus Christ, the entire way, has all these different things happen to him where he could say, enough's enough, I can't do this anymore. He resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He resolutely committed himself that he's going there no matter what. And so we sit there and think, well, this is going to be a great experience. It's going to be smooth sailing for him. And the first thing that happens, a Samaritan village says, you're not coming here. Jesus Christ, right then and there, could have said, I quit. It's over. These people don't like me very much. I'm done. He had every possible excuse. Look at the 12 guys he chose to hang out with. Do any research on them? Really? Those guys? Those guys are going to be the ones that you're going to run with? you got to be kidding me. He didn't make an excuse for them. He said, that's my team. He sent messengers on ahead into this Samaritan village, and, and immediately we run into his second excuse, which is Samaritan opposition. This Samaritan opposition that says, you're not going anywhere. And we already know this to be true, that up to this point in Luke chapter 9, any time that Jesus Christ is, is interacting with the religious establishment, they were against him. They didn't like what he was doing. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were against him. The religious establishment was against him. The Samaritans were against him. His own 12 guys, get this, their solution to not being accepted in the, in the Samaritan village was a solution that was really consistent with Jesus' ministry. Let's call down fire from heaven and destroy them. Where is that in Jesus' ministry? I haven't read about that one. I read about Jesus Christ feeding the 5,000. I read about Jesus Christ healing lepers. I read about Jesus Christ healing the blind, helping people that were deaf be able to hear. I, I've read about all those different things. I've missed out on where he called down fire from heaven. His own team didn't get it. They didn't understand his ways. Yet he set his face as flint for Jerusalem. And why did he set his face as flint for Jerusalem? It's because he knew you and I needed someone who wouldn't make any excuses. He knew you and I needed someone in our lives that was going to take care of us when we want to make excuses. The kingdom of God isn't about you or I. The kingdom of God is about Jesus Christ. It's about talking about the one who went the whole way and made no excuse. He's the one. 
We need him. We need him because we need him far more than we need more excuses. It's my prayer as we continue on and talking about what it means to have God's reign in our life that we would come to a place where we realize and acknowledge the fact that we're weak, we're broken, and we desperately need this one who makes no excuses when he saves us. He loves you. He loves me. He resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Why? Because he knew that there were a ton of excuses that needed to be conquered, and he did it, and he set us free. We get to live in that freedom and proclaim his good news to everybody around us, whether it be our family, whether it be a friend, whatever the case may be. When we're tempted to make excuses, may we turn to the one who made absolutely no excuses. Father, we pray now as we think about these things and as many of us in this room struggle with various issues, whether it be family issues, whether it be an addiction to comfort, whether it be an addiction to having us settle for good rather than best, whether it be family wanting what's good for us but not what's best for us. Lord, you know our excuses. You know the problems that we've had in the past and you know that we love making excuses saying we can only go so far because we're broken. Lord, we thank you that you didn't make any excuses, that you stayed the course to rescue us. And because you rescued us, in those times when we decide to make excuses, we can turn to you who didn't make any excuses. We can turn to you and say, Lord, how I need you right now because I can't do this without you. Do your work in our lives, Father. Do your work in our lives. And I thank you for being so faithful. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the worship team's gonna come back and, uh, and as they come back, it's, it's interesting, you'll notice these songs that we're about to sing. One talks about Jesus Christ being the cornerstone. He's the one that we can depend on. And so as we sing this song and as we, as we, as we move forward in our lives, it's my prayer that we not look at ourselves, but that we look to the one who is rock solid, who's the cornerstone. So I invite you to stand as we sing this song.